Hi, I'm Marianne Talkovsky, and you're listening to the Humanity Speaks podcast. With over a decade of experience as a holistic health practitioner and face reader, I've read hundreds of faces and elevated how many people see themselves. Every person's facial features tell a story of who they are and who they came to be. And in this podcast, you will hear what people see and learn about themselves while looking in the mirror. You won't want to miss an episode, so be sure to subscribe. Today, I'm speaking with Shekinah Holiday, who is a woman who knows what she wants and how she wants to live. Listen to her story as she shares her perspective on growing up biracial and how that has shaped her awareness about diversity. Her story about delivering her first daughter is also very eye-opening and her message about healthcare is compelling. Listen to the end as she shares not only what she believes humanity needs most, but what she wants her daughters to know too. Okay, so Humanity Speaks. I have the lovely guest, Shekinah Holiday. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, so first of all, I want to start with like, how did, how did we meet? So um, I have moved a lot in the last couple, I would say, seven years of my life. And my most recent move was from Chicago to here in Indianapolis. And about two weeks into the process of moving here, staying with my lovely brother-in-law, I found out I was pregnant. And so I immediately texted my acupuncturist in Chicago and was freaking out because she did so much with me on the postpartum journey. With your first pregnancy. With my first pregnancy. And I knew the difference it made. And I vowed if I ever got pregnant again, (laughs) I was going to do acupuncture from the beginning and not wait till the end of that entire journey. And so... She started doing a search and essentially she said, okay, I believe, you know, this lady right here aligns with a lot of the same views and style as me. Give her a call. I called that person. Now I can't even remember who it was. And they said, oh, I just recently moved to Chicago. And I was like, no way. I was like, well, my Chicago acupuncturist recommended you. I wanted to go to you. Who do you feel like aligns with, you know? a lot of your values and how you practice. And um, she gave me your information. And I guess here we are almost exactly a year later. Yeah. Crazy. That was last August. Yeah. Crazy. (laughs) I wish I knew that person too, because I would thank her. So I have to go back and look at old text messages or emails or something for sure and figure out who that was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just want to comment too on how you had said, doing acupuncture during pregnancy, how you noticed that that was such a support for you. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on on the podcast is because, you know, through our time together, just hearing how you view health, you're such an advocate for being proactive about your health um, and how you are so passionate about motherhood and your approach there. I feel like you know, people would really benefit from hearing that. So, yeah, that's, so so that's why we're here. Um, I always start Shekinah with having people take a look at themselves in the reflect in their reflection. And normally, I have a mirror, and today I have my phone. Okay. Um, so I'm going to have you take a peek here and just tell me tell me what you see, or tell us what you see. The listeners they don't see your face, so they're not seeing what features are showing. Well, I would first say I have very clear skin, also I think to Marianne, because we've been working on that. Um, Your skin is glowing. Yeah, (laughs) that's all her. Um, I see experience. I see exhaustion. Uh, I see... New mom. Yes. (laughs) Second time around. Yes. Um, And I see... I see some laugh lines, which means I've had some good times, too, so... uh, not all experiences bad, some good and bad. And um, I see my signature Sigmund forehead, which is my maiden name. We have the big forehead. So <laughs> we like to always joke and say the bigger the head, the bigger the brain, right? So yes, yes. <laughs> I like to look at that and choose to see. I've, I've, I've got a thing or two in there up my sleeve. Um, maybe I'm a little wise in some ways. Maybe I'm also a little dumb, but those are the things I see. <laughs> 
I definitely see wisdom. What about, like, could you describe your features? Because I know no one's oh, okay. going to see um, your uh, background mm-hmm. or even, like, um, the, the shape or size of okay. lips and um, I have brows. a round face, and I have large cheeks that kind of make me look young all the time. I get carded all the time. <laughs> um, I have large lips. I have a widespread nose, um, rather full brows, big, big brown eyes. Um, skin the color of, I don't know, uh, cocoa butter. <laughs> yes. And thanks to my parents, shout out, I know how expensive braces are. Straight teeth. <laughs> 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 it's a gift. Yes. So, um, what else? And I have braids. I love my braids. Um, so they're they look great. They're almost as long as, like, I want to get them down to my butt. I keep them about the same length as my actual hair most of the time and braid some other hair in, but... Yeah, pretty long hair as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Did I miss anything? No. <laughs> okay. Great. And and so you are black. I am. Black I'm, woman. I'm biracial. My uh, mother was black and my father's white. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just I, I identify in this day and age and um, through my experiences, um, I would say as I was younger, I, would, I was very hardcore about saying biracial. And then as I watched and learned and grew, uh, I now would say emphatically identify as a black woman. And that may sound strange, but um, I will never forget looking at my birth certificate when I started school. I was homeschooled until my mother passed away of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma when I was nine years old. And um, when I did go to school, I remember looking at my you know, you have to gather everything to go to school, your social security card, all these things. And I'm looking at my birth certificate and it says black female. Wow. It does not say biracial female. And I remember thinking about that. I don't know if I said any comments to my dad, but I just remember thinking about that. And then every year we would take, then it was called the Iowa test. I took the, it was like the standardized testing week, you know, and I went to school in Louisiana where I was born and raised, went to college all the way through college. And there was a mark. It would always say black, white, uh, Native American, other, you know, it would go into all the different ones. It would never said biracial. Yeah. And so I remember asking very just openly and candidly as a fifth grader, my teacher, which one am I supposed to check? And now being 31 years old, like, God, that was probably unfair to ask my teacher. She didn't know. And she was she was a white female. And she was like, what, whatever you most identify with. And that's a good answer. <laughs> it was. I mean, props to her for being able to, like, handle that situation. Um, but, yeah, it it made me start to ask some questions and try and figure that out. And I didn't know. And um, so I would always check other and I would put biracial, black and right, because you could do other and then you could kind of write in. Yeah. So I did that for every standardized test um, for a while. I, I don't remember exactly when I stopped doing that. I don't know if it was in high school or maybe later on when I would do more things in college or individually. But I started to see how the world viewed me. I started to see um, as I went through college and got my bachelor's degree in nursing, I was viewed as a black nurse. I wasn't viewed as a biracial nurse. And people were trying to figure out, why do I talk the way that I talk? I must be from somewhere else. And no, I'm from Louisiana. I'm, I'm, I'm from here. Um, you don't look. Okay, wh- what are you mixed with? Well, you know, it's just the way that conversations would ebb and flow. And I, I, I just decided that the government sees me as a black female. Um, and as I read the history and learned more about the journey of black women, I felt I identified most with them. And, you know, Malcolm X, I think if I, I don't want to misquote him, but he said something along the lines of the most underappreciated and lowest on the totem pole is the black woman. She's the most forgotten factor in um, the United States. And um, I think I had periods of my life where I felt very forgotten and I felt very, uh, I felt I deserved more. I felt like I pushed, I allowed myself to be at the bottom. And so I felt like maybe around, I would say around college, like I said, um, I, I, I think 
a black woman. Mm-hmm. I, and that is nothing to disown um, the white side of me. Um, it's choosing to embrace it is, is more of how I see it. And um, there are qualities in life experiences that happen with women that are Caucasian that I have not had. And because I cannot identify with that, I am a black woman. Yeah. So you are half Caucasian. Mm-hmm. So what are those experiences that come to mind um, that you have not had? So I would feel like, you know, being fought, like, I don't, I, if I was with my white friends, I wouldn't get followed around in a store as often. Um, if I was on a certain side of town in um, growing up, like there were certain neighbors that were curious. Uh, there was very few biracial kids. So a lot of people could correlate it to my white father. And they once they figure out who I was, I could see people kind of calm down um, a little bit more. Um it, w- it was always slight. It wasn't big things. Um, or people would ask why my hair was the way that it was. Has anybody ever walked up? I, I never have seen or experienced. I mean, obviously, I just feel like questions about hair, questions about skin, or questions about, oh, you don't have to put on, like, you know, sunscreen? Aren't you going to... Like, th- just things that I'm like, these conversations, I don't really see anybody asking anybody else here. And I went to a predominantly white church. I went to a predominantly white um, middle school and junior high. So, like, I have enough people that I'm watching and seeing and, like, the questions that are directed towards me, like, oh, you're letting me know that I'm different. Like, I, I, I'm, that is very clear to me from, like I said, I would, I feel like it was most apparent to me when I started going to school in fifth grade. And so, just as I continued to get older, you know, if I took care of certain patients in the South, um, that had sundowners, the dementia patients, they had words for if a black nurse came in there, I don't want that. You better give me a real nurse. Da, 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 or I'd be a girl. I'm not a woman. I'm a girl. And I wouldn't see other nurses, white nurses, be removed immediately upon their first meeting of their patient as the shift started. Yeah. But that would happen to me. You know, and so it's more of... I saw things that happened to me and other black women as opposed to I didn't see it happen to others. You know what I mean? I It, it was more of like I can only own what has experience, experiences I have had. I can't speak for other people's experiences, but I know you haven't experienced this. You know what I mean? I can't right. tell them what they are experiencing, but I can tell you you aren't experiencing what I'm experiencing. Does that make sense? It's it's, it's a Absolutely. slightly different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, I'm so glad that you're talking about this and— um, because I can relate to the the biracial experience of not knowing which box to check. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm on the other side where my dad wanted me to be seen as white. Mm-hmm. So when I was seeing myself in my reflection or my mirror, it would shock me that I, I don't I don't look like that. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be blonde and blue-eyed and tall. Like that's not how I'm supposed to look. So I've mm-hmm. gone through that experience of like, I don't identify with, like, where do you fit in? Right. So I, I totally get what you're saying. And I've had this experience. Tell me if, you, if you've if you had this, where I feel almost like other or I've always described as alien, you know, like I'm from another planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so have you had that experience where you just don't feel like you belong? You're in that gray area of you're the, in the in-between. The in-between. Um. Yes, I I think it's very difficult to get people to understand because I can empathize with each side. There are so many times that I, you know, um, people can be like, well, how can you believe that? That such and such white person said that. And I'm like, and I, in my mind, I see my very, you know, amazing white grandparents, my, my dad's parents, who were the only grandparents that were in my life because I didn't get to meet my grandparents on my mom's side because they passed away also from cancer. Um, My grandfather before I was born and my grandmother, I was months. And so it's so tricky. You feel like an alien because um, you can identify with both, especially in times like this, very sides that are arguing, you know, and each feel strongly that they're right. And there are certain things that I can hear and I can be like, I understand what they're saying. Or I can 
I can change the face or add the face to that voice and it be my grandmother saying that. And I'm like, oh, yes. Or I can change the face and add that to my aunt, my mom's sister. And I'm like, oh, yes. So it, it it's so, it's this dichotomous relationship and this dichotomous feeling and almost guilt. Yeah. Because you want your life to be more simple and that it just be cut, dry, cut and dry. You don't want to feel like you understand both. Right. But then neither of them fully understand you. Exactly. I, however, do feel that there is an advantage to the other. Like being that in that gray in between, like you said, the understanding piece. And I also like just had a almost like I was always the observer. Mm, yes. You know, like yes. you can and relate I, to that. Yes, definitely. I think what also helped was that my dad is one of five children and they all married somebody. Yes, they all have married somebody from a different continent. Wow. So I have an uncle who married a Brazilian woman. I have another uncle who married a Scottish woman. I have another uncle who married a woman from Malaysia. He also changed his, um, he's now um, Muslim as well and lives in Malaysia. And then my dad's second wife, my stepmom, she's from Malawi, Africa. Wow. And then my aunt has redheaded children with a guy from, I believe he's from Texas, but <laughs> they live in Texas. But I think what was beautiful for me as the observer is I got to see on that part portion of my family th- what, if done right, and I know there was probably things I didn't see growing up and wasn't attuned to, but I got to see see happy birthday sung in different languages. And I got to see my cousins come in and feel comfortable enough to take off, you know, a lot of their, like their hijab and stuff. You know what I mean? Where it was like, they could do that under the comfort of my grandparents' house, but they also still went upstairs and prayed. And at the same time, my Brazilian aunt could come and could speak in, you know, Portuguese to her daughter or in English. Like there was just so much that would ebb and flow in my bright blonde cousins from Scotland coming in there and we're laughing at them saying the boots of the car and all of these things where it's like we are so aware of our differences but there's diversity yes and it was it was almost the beauty of the other where it was like you are the other person no one in this none of my cousins look like me I remember my mind being blown when I would see people who look like their cousins yeah blew my mind when I went to school yeah you look like your cousins yeah like, you guys look alike. You guys could be sisters. Like, yeah. I'm like, I don't look like any of my cousins. That's so crazy because I, um, so my mom took me to the Philippines when I was 21. I was born there. We, we okay. left six months later, but she never told me about my cousins. I didn't even know they existed. So wow. when we went, I remember getting off the plane and seeing them, and they had the exact same cheekbones as my brother. I literally had chills. My jaw dropped. I, I I was crying when I was meeting them because I was literally like, this is my bloodline, like that I had no wow. idea mm-hmm. existed, you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, it, it's interesting to see people have, um, you know, they see the similarities and then to not have the similarities and still feel unified as a family. That's a right. very special experience to have. And I can imagine being out of that, going into places where you're treated like, I don't want the black nurse, you know, like mm-hmm. people can't relate or understand that or be open to that diversity, how right. shocking that can be. But then you can experience that so much that you kind of like get used to it or you, right. you know that this is kind of how it is. Right, right. And it's also difficult because, like I said, growing up in a predominantly white church and some of the women there are like my second moms. They were very close to my mother. And when she passed, they made an effort um, to continue to be in my life. And so I can see, as now has been coined to the Karens, you know, the people that love. There are some people that if on paper or just by picture, oh, yeah, she looks like a Karen, blah, blah, blah. Some of those Karens, you know, on paper or by a picture, not so much in their actions, are some of the most loving women like, it's just not that cut and dry. You know what I'm saying? I know. Saying? That label really does kind of, like, Bring twist some, me. Right. Like, it, and then just some middle-aged women gave me some of the most love and important guidance that is immeasurable. But on the outside, depending on who is dictating the story, 
they could be seen as that because they fit the mold. But it's like, no, there's so much more. Everything, there's so much gray in life that I feel like in the cancel culture or caring culture or this and that, all of these different agendas, it's not all clear. Yeah, it's not, it's not all, black and white. It's not <laughs> just, it, it, which is funny as we talk about me being biracial and being black and white and it's just not, there's gray. Yeah. There really is. Yeah. And so I feel like that's the part that the empathy portion of me, I str- have that inner turmoil so much. And I can feel f- so fiercely about one portion, but also feel f- so fiercely about another. And it can sound like I'm contradicting myself, but I guess I am a walking contradiction already. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, might as well embrace it. But yeah, yeah it's... It's it's definitely a different experience. Yeah. You're a beautiful, stunning walking contradiction, <laughs> if that's you. how you're seeing or <laughs> describing. Um, I want to hear, like you talked about your family, so I want to hear who was really influential to you while you were growing up. Uh, I would say, so like immediate family or... It doesn't have to be immediate family, just someone who you know has helped you with your upbringing. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I was a big tomboy. And so I I wasn't, I bless all the women that tried to help me because I just really, <laughs> losing my mom at a young age and then just really immersing myself in sports and just being the tomboy. And like, I can remember as a kid, like, is it possible for God to change me into a boy? Like, I would ask my dad these questions <laughs> because I like... I just loved that, like, oh, boys get, I mean, it was the simple stuff. Boys get to take off their shirts when they play sports. Like, it was, like, (laughs) things like that as, like, a seven-year-old, which is really important to you that, like, you get to take off your shirt when you play sports. Because I lived in Louisiana and the heat was crazy. But I would say, for me, honestly, it was, like, my little brother. Um, Mm. He actually lives with me right now. They're about to move. But I think he was, like, my first best friend. And so um, I think that... At home, he showed me that even though I didn't really want to play with, you know, the girly dolls or whatever, like he and I were like buddies. So we gave each other our nicknames. His name's Joseph. Um, I called him Jojo. And um, he gave me my nickname, Kiny. And so um, I would say like that was my buddy for like a long time. And um, I think he was the first person in my home that like it was just like we were just always together, you know, and he has a twin, which is funny, not anything against their, they had their own twin language and everything and their twin moments. But um, I feel like I was always just like with, we were always together. We both really liked sports. We loved being outside. We could be outside for forever. And um, we both were a little sensitive, kind of more on the sensitive end mm-hmm. um, out of the six kids. And wow. so um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my memories growing up involved him, you know, very, very young age. And then as I got older, um, it was a lot of my mom's, my mom's friends that really, you know, I would ask them questions and they would help me along, you know, um, the hard stuff, you know, that you're trying to figure out that I wish I could ask my mom, you know, and even can remember messaging them in the last two and a half years when I had my first daughter and asked them, did you ever feel this way? You know, cause these are things I can't ask my mom. So depending on different parts of my life, it's two very different answers. Yeah. yeah. What, what what do you think your brother, what stood out about um, the, the impact he had on your life and as an upbringing? Uh, I think that was the beginning of me being okay with being different, you know, because um, he's, similar yeah so uh I think that it was also too that like I found comfort outside and playing sports and things like that so I channeled that even when I started going to school and didn't quite like understand some of the you know like girl gossip or girl whatever like somebody else is in a fight with somebody else today or whatever somebody's mad because somebody took her boyfriend I mean we're like fifth grade whatever (laughs) I'm just like sitting through it and then I'm just counting down to recess where I can play football with the guys like that was all I cared about or like you know like I vividly remember the feeling I felt when like I would get picked before some of the guys because they finally were like yeah we don't really care anymore that she's a girl she definitely can catch the ball better than so and so so we're gonna pick her like you know what I mean and so I think it helped me that my little brother believed in me and 
would play outside with me or all, you know, whatever it was, we had that connection to where I was like, yeah, I'm not quite as like girly as my sisters or I'm not quite, you know, I'm a little bit more sensitive, but my brother is too sometimes. And you know what I mean? Like there were things, I mean, you would never guess because he's so calm, cool and collected too. That was the other thing is like, and he was okay being by himself. That was the other thing too about my little brother. Like he was a little brother. We would find him outside, like, you know, in a pull-up and a white t-shirt and rubber boots. And he's like messing with the like old fire. We grew up on two acres of land. Actually, I think it was three. And um, we just really got to free roam. And so he would just be out there stoking old fire, trying to get it to come back to life. <laughs> like we were just outside kids. And so I think that for me, I was always jealous of it. Just like how like totally fine he was with being like by himself. And like, I think that that's something now as an adult, it's so clear and how he lives now and how compatible it is. I mean, not everybody can live with their sibling, you know? Yeah. And so I think that that's something that I can only now say, you know, that he contributed to. I think if you would ask me that, you know, years ago, I'd been like, I don't know. You know what I mean? <laughs> but now I can clearly say that he's he still is very comfortable doing things alone or doing things that are not the norm. And my life is not normal. So I need a little bit of that, you know, and not somebody asking me questions in a way that makes me feel shameful that I'm living a kind of um, not so average picket fence life. Yeah. You say not so normal. So let's let's hear about that. Like, what is what is that looking like right now? Well, um, so the reason I've moved so many times is my husband's in the NBA. And uh, that was a huge goal for him. Uh, it's been a journey. He hasn't always been in the NBA. He didn't get drafted. And so uh, there was an NBA lockout, which essentially means nobody had a job and he couldn't even vouch for a job with remaining spots on a team. And so then he went and played overseas in Belgium. So our first year of dating, fresh out of college, um, I'm hopping on a plane to Belgium so that I can have a relationship with my fresh boyfriend now that we've both graduated college. And um, I had just taking, taken the NCLEX to get my, which is the boards for nursing. And so I had a six-week window where whether you pass or fail, you can't work anyway. So I was like, well... I'm going. I'm going. And so, um, yeah, I did Belgium with him. And then he came back at the D-League in Boise, Idaho, um, 76ers, back overseas to Hungary, our first year of marriage, um, Golden State Warriors. Then we did Atlanta Hawks, then Chicago Bulls, then New York Knicks, back to the Chicago Bulls, Memphis Grizzlies, and now Indianapolis Pacers. And to be determined in the next two months or so what the next step is so I've I've lived in a lot of really cool cities and um yeah it's a very unconventional life to just pick up and move that many times wow I I want to say that you're kind of built for that because (laughs) well from what I've seen your face you talked about this rounded forehead Mm -hmm. and that is a feature uh when when the forehead's rounded that signifies the water element which the water element is all about flowing Mm. it's all about going with change well and roaming and you know I fought it for a while I definitely uh did not embrace it for a little bit I was kind of angry about it you see you know people are able to build a whole life in other cities and I was a little envious of that for a while and then once I decided you know what like when people would ask me what was this city like oh my gosh what an adventure and I'd be like you know what what an adventure (laughs) I'm you're right. It's an adventure. I mean, and it was like, not to say that I didn't like hate it and question why he was in the NBA when there was, I mean, I've been with him through three trades, which for those of you that don't follow basketball, I'm with you. I wasn't like this until I married into it. But um, you pick up everything and you're on a plane within six hours and you live in a new city. Wow. Like it's, it's, it's a lot. And, and then your spouse, if you're like me, you get you get your spouse settled in the city and then you go back and you pack up the house, you pack up the condo, you pack up whatever. So it happens fast. It's a phone call and you're on a plane and you're in a different, you get a physical and you're in a different jersey. You could play against your old team within 48 hours in a new jersey. Wow. Well, I can tell you why there was resistance there, just from what I see in your <laughs> ah, face, okay. as well as why you are the perfect uh, support for him in this transition. And that is um, what we call the earth element. Okay. So 
the features on the face that represent the earth element are the mouth okay. and the roundedness. So you would you would <laughs> say you have a round, a round face. face I do. Um, and also your mouth is so um, you've got these beautiful plump lips, which this is the area of nourishment, motherhood, giving, oh. receiving. Wow. Earth is all about support. Earth likes stability. Earth likes routine. I do. Earth likes to have um, that that relationship of mothering. Which again, I want to I want to go there um, here in, in just a minute um, because I think there's so many in- interesting aspects that you have on motherhood that you've mm-hmm. shared with me over the past year. Um, and yeah, the Earth likes to be in the soil. <laughs> I do rooted. So, um, <laughs> but the Earth is also this beautiful, soft place to land that holds mm-hmm. and is like um, the support. You know, he's very lucky to have you I, and I've never seen a photo of your husband is he is he black or is he white he is he is black okay mm-hmm. so your daughters are going to yes so their birth certificates also say black female um, but the, yeah so they are technically three fourths black okay Caucasian yes so tell me about like well first of all I want to talk about your birth journey with your first because mm-hmm. I felt like that was a very compelling story when you shared that with me yes um, you know, I remember reading so many different people's birth stories and I was kind of on the fence about home birth. And so what I decided to do was mid a, a midwife, but in a hospital. I wasn't that far removed from working still. So you have to remember with a nursing background, I'm one of those people that actually I found I felt rooted in the healthcare system and still, even though I had questions about it and I did see how it was failing a lot of people and it, and it had some imperfections, I still wasn't ready to let go of what I'd spent all those years learning and, you know, the BSN after my name. And so, um, I did the midwife and I, I mean, we did a move in the middle of that, that was coming from, I got pregnant in New York and then he got picked up by Chicago Bulls, uh, signed with them and my seventh month of my, um, of my pregnancy. And wow. so I had to do a transfer, first of all. So that in itself was already kind of an experience. And then I decided there was this linger. I felt like in the back of my mind, I wanted to do birth at home, but I was like, oh, I'm scared. It's my first. I don't know. And so, yeah, so I did. And and I loved all the midwives as I, as I got to meet them at the hospital, because that's all I got to do. But then the last two, three months of my pregnancy, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm just meeting everybody that's in the group so that by the time I have the baby, I've at least seen everyone's face, right? So I'm barely even repeating getting to see the same provider, which being on that side of healthcare bothered me. I was like, oh, I need some rapport. Like, at least you get the same like nurse for 12 hours. Consistency, you you need routine. Yes, (laughs) the earth, as you're saying. So that was kind of hard for me. And I remember voicing that to my husband and it was, but I knew, I mean, what, what choice do I have? I still felt confident in my decision. And, um, so I went into labor right before my husband on a road trip. So lucky him, um, he called in and, to, and he said, I'm not gonna make it to practice. And they left for a road trip after practice. And because my, I started having labor pains about two or three in the morning, I was able to sleep, uh, through them, but essentially I labored at home the majority of, um, for as long as I could, I would say. And so when my doula came, I had a doula for that pregnancy um, and that birth. And um, she checked me. I was eight centimeters by the time she was like, yeah, we should probably head to the hospital. She's like, this baby's going to come fast. I had gotten in the water. I'd gotten in the bathtub and like my labor like stalled. She's like, oh, you got to get out. You got to get out. So like my body really like loved the water, loved being home. We get in the car drive through Chicago traffic downtown. Um, It really wasn't that bad. Lucky me. It was like noon. So it really, it it was kind of, it wasn't as bad as it could be. And um, I find out who's on call. And it was one of the midwives I didn't really feel like was as great. We didn't have as great of a connection. And so if I'm being completely honest, my birth stalled right there. Mm. My my labor progress. You felt right it. There. Oh, yeah. And if you would have told me that, and I'd probably read it in books and all the things, I'd have been like, oh, okay, yeah, that just sounds kind of like, you know, touchy-feely, whatever. No, it happened. And that in that waiting area, we were like signing in and telling them your name and you're laboring on a chair somewhere because, you know, you're having a contraction and you're waiting for them to get you all in the system. Little did I know, my body was like, mm. 
that inner tension just oh, yeah. kind of like as soon as I found out who was on call and but you know I'm just I'm recognizing it's mind over matter and I'm just trying to push through and so um I labor for a little bit uh, while they're they're trying to get me checked in and get a room available for me my water breaks and I'm like oh we're good we're good we've got this we've got this and I just remember talking in both a in both terms of who I was as a nurse and as a patient. And I expected to be heard in both ways. And mm. I was not. In either way. I was heard as a patient in some ways, but not in the way that I had hoped, with the respect that I'd hoped. I watched the nonverbal language exchanged across the room between, you know, a nurse tech or different nurses or in the midwife because I was refusing medication. You know, I was really still trying to do a uh, birth without any drugs, any interventions, um, but felt the need and the comfort of having things very close if the need did arise. Though I had an uncomplicated pregnancy and had no reason to think that there was going to be anything, that was the medical portion of me that was like, just in case. Right. And I can remember telling them that I was about to have a contraction and they're like, well, it's not showing on the monitor. No, you're not. And I, that like was the switch for me. And I was like, do not tell me what my body is doing when I'm here. Like I'm here. I'm feeling it. This is my body. And it just kind of cascaded from that moment on. It was, um, I kept trying to explain something changed. Like, well, long story short, I ended up having a posterior birth. I gave into the epidural, um, but there was there was ways I felt I could have been better supported and heard, and I was not, and I was furious. Yeah. And I can remember still kind of drugged up from the epidural, you know, and swollen from the IV fluids, telling my husband, if we have another baby, I'm not doing this again. Because I, and it was just this moment for me where, I felt like I played a part in a system as becoming a nurse in a Western medicine where it's like, we know what's best for you. Just like, okay, like we're just going to look over you and kind of roll our eyes and we're going to convince you or try to scare you into this is your only option as opposed to what are you feeling? What are you hearing? What's your body saying to you? Um, let me try and support what your desires are within limits of safety and I just didn't feel heard I didn't feel support that and I thought that if I chose a midwife in a hospital I'd get that and that just wasn't exactly it didn't turn out how I wanted it to be and yeah that was hard for me yeah and I think that there's so many people that experience that not just even with labor but even just in their health journeys mm -hmm. with like you said the system so I'm just curious if you knew someone was going through something like this where they weren't being listened to and they knew what was going on with their bodies, but they also wanted that support from the Western um, medis medical world, mm -hmm. what what would you say to them? Oh, I should have fired her. You can, like, fire your, like... There was just so Find much someone fear. That you had a connection yes, with. yeah. I mean, and even in that moment, I could have said, like, I release you of care of me. Like, I need somebody else. Like, but the fear aspect was playing so hard because a lot of this was unknown. It was like I knew what I deserved. The medical portion of me knew that I I deserved to be, you know, as a nurse, what I had sworn into and believed was to be treated with respect. And 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 my hopes had been with a midwife for it to be more holistic. And those needs were not being met. I should have kept going until I got that you know but so what I would encourage somebody else is like don't be afraid to fire them it's still a system like they work for you they're getting paid like so you are in my opinion is a business and you're a consumer and if you are not happy with the services being provided keep going until you find it yeah because you deserve it yeah and it's the same with acupuncture too. You can hire, you can fire your acupuncturist if you wanted to. <laughs> People do it, you know. Not, not. I haven't had that experience that I know of, but in all, yet. I mean, in all realms, no. I'm, yeah. I, you can, you can be an advocate for your yes. health. Yes. Yeah. And this is coming from somebody. I mean, I would be taking care of you in a hospital setting, like. No, I'm not a doctor. No, I'm not a PA. There are levels, in a sense, to that healthcare system. But if someone who spent time, money, resources, years getting a degree in this system and I'm telling you it is failing us, 
who if if you don't believe me, who are you gonna believe? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on both ends. Yeah. I can remember passing out twenty five pills to the patients and I'm like so does anybody talk to them about what they're eating so that they don't have to take this blood pressure pill, which they don't have to take this pill, which is the side effect of the blood pressure pill? I mean, it's like I'm the one asking these questions. They're like, she kind of just go give them medicine. Like, yeah. and I'm like, but I feel like I can remember asking those questions. I mean, like, this is it. Like, You, it sounds like even from a young age, have always been an inquisitive yes. person. Probably and I drive my parents insane. I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that that is one of your huge gifts. And then um, the other thing I want to point out is we talked about earth. We talked about water. I do want to point out in your cheeks, you do have this, this plumpness Mm -hmm. and this is the area of authority. And ever since I met you, I have seen this inner authority come out, this fierceness, you know, of like, Uh, this is what people need to know. This is what could help them. This is a different way of looking at things. mm -hmm. You know, like, I I feel like that spirit is so needed. I just really want to highlight that. And I'm really curious when you think about your daughters, like, how do you envision raising them? Like, what, what do you want them to learn? from you my hope is that they recognize that my job as a mother is to guide them but I I want them to still take ownership and still be themselves and be sure of themselves and I want them to recognize that I'm gonna protect them to an extent but I'm gonna let them fail and I'm gonna let them see it for themselves and I'm already seeing that with my two-year-old almost three-year-old um I will tell her once if you fall that's gonna be an ouchie and then I watch and that's been so hard that wasn't the beginning of how I was as a mom um but to be honest, some of the m- most remarkable moments in my life was through hard things and through things that I thought were going to just break me or going to change me not for the good, you know, make me better, make me um, not ever want to give anybody else a chance again, make me want to give up on, you know, write people off, cancel, like how life is now. People love to just cancel people and just be done. And I'm hoping that my daughters can see that you can be strong and you can be tender, mm-hmm. that you can make mistakes and be wise from them. Mistakes are not synonymous with foolishness. You know, um, I want them to see, like we talked about dichotomy, I want them to see too. And I want them to see that you can be grateful and be sad. That I, I'm, I'm hoping that I teach my my children that they that life is complex you are complex um i hope i teach them that you can feel more feelings at once you can choose to channel certain ones um you can do hard things i I, there's so much but i would say the biggest thing is you're not just one label you're not just one thing like we've talked about um life is not black and white you're not going to feel things just one way. You're going to feel multiple things, and that's okay. Yeah. And you're going to make mistakes, but that doesn't make you a mistake or that doesn't make you a fool, you know? Um, I just hope that they see that they are more than the sum of past mistakes or um, regrets, whatever. I, I, I hope that I, I give them hope. I hope that in all of that there is hope and there is love and there is pain and it's all in there. And I hope that they can see all that and still find comfort in themselves. Yeah. Even if they're, even if it feels like they're not understood by everyone, that they're sure enough of themselves that they're okay with it until they find their people that embrace them for who they are. And But I hope that I can empower them enough through that, you know, that there's not so much baggage and so much that they have to pull apart you know what I mean? To find who they are. Right. Yeah. Before somebody else, you know, I don't want them to wait for somebody to tell them, hey, you are these things. I hope that they are able to discover it themselves through their childhood as I hope to semi-guide them through that. Or, you know, I just, 
I think that's the biggest thing because I think a lot of us are in adulthood doing that. And I hope I can help them do that in childhood so that that's one. There's lots of things you got to learn in adulthood. Like, can I just take that one off because it makes everything else. That's such a beautiful vision. And like, if you're a mom listening to this, listen to that because, I mean, that is such a beautiful vision. You're so right. We, we as adults, we are sifting through that so much, especially this year. Mm-hmm. So to have that vision for your kids, is, mm-hmm. is there anything that you would want your husband to know? Anything? Oh, gosh. I think that he is probably one of the first people to recognize that um, I didn't credit myself as much as I should have. Like he, he helped me build my self-worth and like how I looked at myself, like we talked about in the mirror. A lot of that is attributed to him. And like I talked about, I don't want my children to have to wait until somebody helps them see the mirror more clearly and helps wipe away everything. Um, as much as I say that, I'm grateful that my husband did that for me because I think that he would listen and he would remember what I would say and he would be able to help me see. Reflect it back yes. to Yes. Yeah. And so as much as I'm grateful for that, it almost sounds strange for me to say that I don't want my daughters to have that. But I was lucky. I got a great man that loves the Lord, that loves me and loves his children so much and is passionate about so many things and does that well. I don't want them to have to go through lots of men. You know what I mean? I don't want that same journey because it could easily go a completely different direction. I was blessed and that was a gift that was given to me. But You want them to find it in themselves. Yes. Yes. And and it just saves you so much more pain and questioning (laughs) and you make dumb decisions based off of how you view yourself. So if I can just give them that self-assuredness, just that there's a tiny line between that and just being a little too like, sure you know right. there's some people that are, you're like well we just need to tone that down and you need to be humbled a little bit you know <laughs> I, and maybe that will be my role i don't know uh, but yeah that fine line that fine line mm-hmm. yeah so speaking of that like that fine line um and everything we've talked about when you think about where we are in the world today and what humanity needs most what does shekinah holiday think humanity needs oh gosh I think make sure your circle is diverse. It's very easy for me to see things from so many different points of view because I feel like my upbringing was so diverse. Um, Yes, I was raised in a predominantly, you know, white church and white um, school up until high school, but my flesh and blood, my cousins looked so different from me. And so I can remember like being so confused when people would be teased for the way that they look because like I thought that was normal. I thought it was normal for your family to be red and yellow, black and white. Yeah. I didn't know. And so I would say if you're having a hard time understanding somebody or you you are frustrated with you know, the extreme left, the extreme right, if you're going political or black or white, if you're going whatever form, what does, what is your circle look like? What is, what do your friends look like? What does your family look like? I'm not saying you got to go marry somebody just for that exact reason, but I'm saying if it's not your family, what is your non-blood family look like? The choices that you can make. Um, Who who you surround yourself with. Right. Are you around people with different incomes? So that you, when you make a decision or hear a law being passed, you're able to think, oh, man, so-and-so, that's really going to affect her as a single mother. Oh, oh, you know, are you able to think outside of just people that look just like you? Because you're just going to get an echo of your own thoughts. And that's, I mean, that's the beginning of a lot of issues in our country is the selfishness factor. But I would just say make sure you're diversifying your everyday life. Be aware of somebody who has, you know, more than you, less than you, whether that's in money, whether that's in family, whether that's in support, whether that's in, you know, um, job opportunities, whatever it is. And and remember the things that frustrated you when you were younger. Like that was something that my husband and I have talked about so many times is, you know, we were in the middle where it was like, I wasn't, my family was 
well off enough to where I didn't qualify for financial aid in certain things and grants and funds, but we didn't have enough money for me to pay for college. So you're stuck in the middle. And I remember he and I talking about, you know, what are one of the goals we have when we get married and we're able to, you know, build our wealth and give back. That is the people we want to help because we were both in that where it was like, yeah, we both got scholarships, but we could barely pay for our food and we could barely pay for our housing. And so it's just a small sample to show that like, don't forget that. Don't forget the things that were the hardest for you when you were younger or specific areas of your life and then diversifying who you come in contact with every single day, you know, so that you can see. So you're not just hearing like, oh, well, that's just those people on food stamps. Like, do you do you know anybody on food stamps? Like, have, have you decided they're all lazy or, or do you actually know somebody who his that's the only way they feed their family and they work three jobs. Yeah. Is that, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not black and white. Right. Like right. you've said over and over. Yeah. I think diversify the people around you. You'll diversify your mind. And honestly, you'll diversify your heart. And that's that's where everything flows from. I love it. Okay, so last question. Just taking it back. Okay. <laughs> Who do you see? <laughs> oh, after you've told me all the things about my face? Well, I feel like I see somebody who resists change, but forces herself and eventually it flows with it. And somebody who loves a lot, but is now learning that through her authority, it's okay to say no. Um, And I probably mother some people that don't want to be mothered (laughs) with that authority, but just know it is out of love and forgive me for the overstepping (laughs) I love it you rock thank you so much lady I just adore you I just adore you yes thank Thank you. you thanks everybody for listening and yeah Shekinah holiday thank you thanks thank you for listening to the humanity speaks podcast With the rise of social media engagement and video conference calls, many people are feeling more self-conscious about seeing themselves face on. I believe that if you love yourself when you see yourself, you elevate humanity, which is why I've created programs to help people love who they see in the mirror. I wanna show you how to look at yourself with love, compassion, and acceptance, so you can share your strengths, presence, and talents with pride. The best part is we can work together one-on-one in a group program, or even in person. Simply visit MarianneTelkovsky.com or follow me on Instagram at MarianneTelkovsky and we can get started right now on your path to radical self-acceptance, healthy aging, and building your radiant energy. Until next time, signing off, this is Marianne Telkovsky with Humanity Speaks.